Um, uh, let's turn to Psalm 119. It's, so, it's such a blessing to be together. And uh, we are in our summer in the Psalms series. And this morning, don't get nervous, <clears throat> um, because you know, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, but I promise an hour and a half and I'm going to be done, <laughs> and there'll be food afterwards. Here's what we know. We don't know who's, who wrote Psalm 119, uh, for sure, but we do know this. They love the Word of God. They love the Bible. Um, love for God's word is really the theme of this psalm, and it's expressed in, in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, containing 176 verses. But you may not know why. There are 176 verses. There's a very precise and beautiful reason why there are 176 verses. Psalm 119, stick with me now, is broken into 22 sections. One section for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And each section begins with the next chronological letter of the alphabet. So in our alphabet, the first section would be, would start with the letter A, second section, letter B, right through the entire alphabet. But more than that, each section then contains eight verses, and each of those eight verses then begins with that same letter. So let the first section would be A, and then eight verses starting with the letter A. Second section, the letter B, and eight verses starting with the letter B, the Hebrew letter for B. And 22 times eight equals 176. So we have 176 verses. We do not have time to go through all those verses. Here's the great thing. I wanna just highlight three things about um, loving God's word from this Psalm. And I'm gonna jump around a little bit, but that's okay, because this is not a sequential Psalm where it builds sequentially. Uh, so we can pull what uh, Charles Bridges calls the pearls of, independent pearls of priceless treasures from this psalm. And we're going to pull just a few out and highlight them. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning. The first jewel, the first pearl, the first truth I want us to look at is that God's word is eternal. It is fixed in heaven. Verses 89 through 91 and then verse 96 your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws to this day for all things serve you. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your, just the Holy Spirit, to speak loud and clear to our hearts from your word. We thank you for the revelation that the Bible is to us about who you are, God, and also about the loving plan of redemption that you had in mind from the very beginning and culminating with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help our hearts to love treasure this book that you have given us. Lord, if our Bibles are a bit dusty, 
let us recognize we're making a big mistake. And let's blow that dust off and get into them every day as we're able. Let's commit to it, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's why I wanted to start with this point that it is eternal because we live in a temporary world. And so in this temporary world, God's word is permanent. It is firm in the heavens. It is fixed forever. The permanence of God's word represents the permanence of God's faithfulness. Everything around us, look around, everything is temporary. Except God's word and his faithfulness and his promises they are forever. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So here's what God's word does. It gives us a fixed point by which we can guide our lives. In the nautical world, sailors use something that's called a sextant. And a sextant is a device that measures, and it's kind of a directional. Before we had GPS, it's a directional. And the way it works is it it measures the angle between a fixed object, usually a celestial object, the sun or the north star at night, and you, you, you angle that with your horizon, and by the two, you are able to know where you are and guide yourself with amazing precision. We need that fixed point to guide our lives. We need a fixed point to know where to go. Studies have shown that if a person is blindfolded and put in a field and told to walk a straight line, that it's not long without knowing it, that person begins to curve and they begin to curve more and more. And so they've observed people and they've had them walk blindfolded for long distances and what happens is they begin to do loops and those loops get tighter and tighter. And they think they're walking in a straight line, but they're, they're actually beginning to curve around and around again in ever-tightening circles. It feels, when we don't have a fixed point, like we're walking in a straight line, but we're zigzagging all over and we're beginning to do loops. That's why we can get lost. You, you put a person in a dense forest without some ability to guide them, and not only will they get lost, but they very well may start to see the same area again and again. I always wondered why that would happen. They'd have that in shows and it's like, hey, I think we've been here because you loop. Some researchers believe that the loopy paths are because the walker, as they're walking, change ever so slightly without knowing it, their sense of what straight ahead is. And so they feel like this is straight ahead but then they begin to change it without even knowing it. And that begins to accumulate those little deviations until they become circles. But you give a fixed point reference that somebody can look at. And now they can recalibrate to that reference point over and over again and stay on a straight line. What's true physically is true spiritually as well. We cannot know truth without a fixed point. Because if we don't have 
a fixed point, and that fixed point is God's word. What feels like straight, what feels like true is going to begin to get lost and loop in on itself. And we're seeing that happen in surprising ways today. I want to I want to just mention as people reject the fixed point of absolute truth. As people reject that, they hitch their truth on other things that are not fixed points. And they feel we feel when we do that like we're going straight, but we're not. We will begin to loop. And so we're seeing people hitch what they believe is true to what's trending culturally, what's acceptable socially. And we're getting lost in loops of contradiction and irrationality. As someone once said, you can deny reality, but you can't deny the consequences of denying reality. One example we see is this whole conversation about gender fluidity. It's all around us right now. Our kids are hearing it all, all the time. That gender is fluid based on what a person identifies as. And as, on, as we unhitch gender from biological, the fixed point of biological science and the fixed point of God's word, God created us male and female, we are beginning to do verbal loop-de-loops that no one could have predicted just a few short years ago. For the first time in human history, it is possible for a man to be pregnant. First time in human history. How did that happen? An intelligent, highly educated Supreme Court nominee couldn't answer this question. What is a woman? When we say a man who identifies as a woman is a woman, we're left with biological males who, as males, were mediocre in athletics, but in women's sports are easily breaking long-held sports uh, uh, records. Riley Gaines, I'm sure you've heard of her, went, was set to speak at the San Francisco State University. She was hit twice by a man in a dress in the name of women's rights. I mean, we're talking loop-de-loops. A man hits a woman in the name of women's rights. Now, I want, I want, to, I want to say something to us that as Christians, we should fight for the rights and the protection of the trans community. We absolutely should. I cringe when I hear Christians speak in a demeaning or a disrespectful way about people who are gay or trans or, or anything. Amen. I cringe. You don't have to believe that gender is fluid in order to love someone who believes that gender is fluid. Amen? Amen. And to share the good news with them. So I think, I think that while we hold to a fixed point of what we believe is true, we hold on to it with love and compassion for those who don't believe that. And we, we don't speak snarky, we don't speak sarcastic, we don't speak dismay. We respect, we love, we care, we truly, we will fight for them 
If somebody's attacking somebody, I don't care what they are, we fight for them. Amen? We stand up for them. But we don't agree with what they're believing. There's a lot of confusion. And right now the world is in, and that's just one example, a loop-de-loop of confusion. And it needs right now Christians, Jesus said you are the light of the world. It needs Christians who lovingly and courageously point to the fixed word of point of God's word, which stands firm in the heavens. We also need that fixed point as we navigate our personal horizons. We all have personal horizons, and those horizons change. Our season of life changes. What we see on the horizon, it doesn't stay the same, it changes. If you have young kids, you know your, your horizon right now is full of dirty diapers and, and constant demand. Um, if your kids are older, that horizon's different. If you don't have kids or your kids are, are grown, your horizon looks very different. After 32 years of kids living in our home, Janice and I are on the cusp of the empty nest. Our horizon is changing. But that's true all over the place. The person applying for their very first job has a different horizon than the guy or the gal that's been working in the same job for 20 years. Different horizon. A single person has a different horizon than a married person. College educated, a different horizon than a tradesman. Our horizons look different. For young people, for young people, the horizon might be full of what your peers think about you. That's all you see on the horizon. What do my peers think of me? Do they accept me? Do they think well of me? Do they, I, I, I don't want to be laughed at. And being accepted can feel, I know I was that age once, a long time ago. It can feel like the most important thing in the world. What you cannot see right now is that in 10 years, most of the people in your life right now will not be in your life as far as friends in school and peers, and you will not care what they thought about you. Horizons change, and they're meant to look different. We're all in different places. But here's the beautiful thing about God's word. It gives us all a fixed point. So just like that sextant, there's my horizon, there's the fixed point. We look at our horizon, but we look at the fixed point and that guides us so we don't get lost or wander aimlessly in circles. So we don't think we're walking in truth when we're really being deceived. We take our horizon into consideration, but we don't guide our lives by our horizons. You don't guide a ship by, I think I saw that wave before, head towards that wave. All waves look the same. I think I saw that tree before. You guide it by a fixed point. God's word firmly fixed in heaven. The second point is actually kind of related to it that I want to draw out from this. And that God's word is a lamp for our feet. Verse 105 he writes this Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You might think, isn't that the same thing you just said? Well, it's, it's a little different. God's word fixed in heaven gives us this objective truth point that gives us an unchanging reference point in life. But verse 105 tells us God's word is not just this distant fixed point. It's also a nearby lamp to guide our steps. A lamp guides our lives a little differently than a star. A fixed point helps us walk in truth. 
walk a straight line, navigate the challenges of life by holding on to something objectively true when the horizon of our culture and social ideologies keep changing, but a lamp lights our next step, keeping us from stumbling, keeping us from walking into danger. Think of it this way, God's truth is big and massive and unchanging, but his truth also comes close to us to help us navigate the challenges in life. Whatever challenge, whatever decisions, whatever choices, whatever issues you are dealing with in life, God's word is a lamp for your feet. We need both, the fixed and the lamp. Here's a couple ways that Psalm 119 tells us God's word is a lamp. When we're tempted to sin, God's word lights up the path of purity. Verse nine, I told you I was jumping around a little bit. Verse nine, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word protects us from taking that step into impurity that might feel good today, but destroys our lives tomorrow. God's word hidden in our hearts. And by the way, that's another important reason why we should know the word of God. We want to hide the word of God. Somebody might say, well, I've got God's word hidden. I just don't know where in the house it is. That's not what this is talking about. God's word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against. See, when your God's word is hidden in your heart, you are able to discern, uh-uh, okay, that's, that's not right. But if you don't know God's word, you're not going to have that discernment. And we can go down dangerous paths without knowing it. Impurity, sin, immorality. This week on Tuesday, went to put the shower on and we had no hot water. I went downstairs and after looking at our hot water heater for an embarrassingly long amount of time, trying to figure out what was wrong with it, I looked at the bottom and I saw a bunch of water underneath it. it took me a while to get to that point. And long story short, um, it had sprung an irreparable leak on the inside of the tank. Couldn't see it. The tank is fairly new. We bought it four years ago. On the outside, it looked perfect. It looked beautiful. It was working perfectly. Perfectly. But on scene, in the inner tank, sediment and impurities started to accumulate, build up, and began to eat and rot away at the tank from the inside out. It was fine until it wasn't. That's what's impurity, that's what immorality, that's what sin does. Sin's an impurity that eats away at us from the inside out. I think nobody knows, not hurting anybody. And you know what, I've been doing this sin and I'm okay and everything's fine and it will be fine and you will look good and everything will be great until it doesn't.
But even when it looks good on the outside, on the inside, our conscience is compromised. Guilt eats away at us. Shame gnaws at us. Fear of being found out causes us to begin to spin webs of deceit. We begin to become two or three people, depending on where we are. And it all goes on in the inside where no one can see until the corrosion works its way through, and it will eventually, and it leaks outside. God's word's a lamp. Don't take that first step. When you do take that step, God's word is hid in my heart. Confess the sin to the Lord, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's walking in the light. That's cleaning out the tank, which I'm going to do. By the way, our tank was under warranty, and uh, we're going to we're going to clean it once a year now, flush it out. So we need to do that with our hearts. God's word is a lamp. It, it, hidden in our hearts, it helps flush our hearts out. The second way that, uh, that God's word is a lamp to us is uh, it actually broadens our understanding. Verse 32, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. I love this. I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but I think this is so amazing because a lot of times people think that, you know, following the Bible, believing the Bible just narrows your life. You're very narrow-minded, you know, and, you, you know, you just, you got to open your mind up and, you, you know, you, you're, you're so tight and you, you can't live and, you, you know, you can't have fun and all this because you believe the Bible. And it's like, no, just actually the opposite is true. The opposite is true. It sets us free to run in life. Sin doesn't set you free. It chains you. You're not free when you're chained to sin. You're not free when you're chained to ideologies that give no hope. But you can party. You can, you can do it up today with no concern, but you have no hope. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. I run in the path of your commands. Jesus says, hey, go through the narrow gate and then you're going to find wide and abundant pasture. Yes, there's a narrow gate into this. It's Jesus Christ and believing in him. But then you find wide pasture. Jesus didn't come to say, I came to give you a stingy little life. He said, I came to give you abundant life, a full life where you are free to live life the way it was meant to be lived. And I'm not here to, to make you close-minded so you can't. Absolutely, there are small-minded Christians. But it's not the Bible that makes them that way. It's, it's traditions and religiosity and self-righteousness that causes a believer's mind to collapse in on itself and become really small-minded. The Bible broadens our understanding of life and what's really going on by giving us insight into human nature. We understand ourselves better. We understand life better. When you understand how something works, you can use it better. When you understand an instrument, we went to see a band last night, a Fleetwood Mac cover band, and they were just awesome. Here's a, there, here's a principle I want to tell you about. The guitar player was amazing. I'm like, oh. You can get so good if you devote yourself to it. But here's what that, you know what that looked like for him? It didn't look like freedom. It looked like playing discipline every day, hours and hours and hours of playing. While other people were outside playing games, tossing the football, you know, watching TV, gaming. He was playing the guitar, playing the same thing over and over again, learning, learning, learning. Okay. 
But you know what he has freedom to do? Get up and play songs without having to think and look at the music like I have to. You just play free as possible. Discipline leads to greater freedom in life. That, that understanding of what is true doesn't restrict you. It, it keeps you from things that bind you. Amen? Does that make sense? It keeps us from bound lives. And the most difficult chain to break is doing exactly what you want to do. That is the greatest prison. Because our flesh goes in all the wrong directions. And we end up miserable. The Bible broadens our understanding insight into human nature. It gives us wisdom and counsel on finances. It navigates us through the deep valleys, keeps us grounded when we're on the high mountains. God's word teaches us how to live a well-crafted life. It makes us wise unto salvation. And that brings me to the last point, and I'm going to be quick with this, but this is super important. God's word promises God's unfailing love and salvation to those who trust in his word. Verse 41 and verse 42. Now, the psalmist says, Now may your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. According to your promise, your salvation, God never has and never will break a promise. His promises are fixed eternally in heaven. So when God promises us his unfailing love, we can stand on that. We can take it to the bank. When God promises salvation to all those who call upon his name, all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a promise we can stand on. The greatest promises in the Bible are promises of salvation because that's what we need more than anything else. We need to be rescued and that's why Jesus came. But here's a wonderful thing about salvation and about God's promises. They're not just for on the other side of eternity. Jesus came to save us for eternity but also to save us here and now. John's gospel in particular represents or presents salvation not as something in the future, but something that is now. Jesus saves us now. Jesus frees us from the power of sin now. Jesus washes away condemnation and guilt and shame now. We are saved now. And then on that day, our salvation will be gloriously realized as Jesus ushers us into his eternal kingdom and into eternal life, and we fall on our knees in grateful praise to the Savior who saved us. Salvation, the promise. I find it interesting the psalmist is writing this while facing some kind of taunting. He says, then I can answer anyone who taunts me. Salvation is his answer. There are people taunting him, mocking, belittling him, but he knows he can trust God's promise to answer the taunt, taunters, those who are taunting him. And as you read through this psalm, 
in so many of the Psalms, you see that the psalmist, he's going through ups and downs. Life is, has its bumps and its bruises. His life isn't trouble-free. There are powerful people plotting against him. There are people digging pits for him to fall into. There are people telling lies in order to smear his good name. At times, he says, I feel like my soul is clinging to the dust. But you know what else he's clinging to? With one hand, he might be clinging to the dust. But with the other hand, he's clinging to the promises of God. The Bible doesn't promise that God exempts us from trials. In fact, just the opposite. It promises that life will be hard sometimes. People will come against us. Circumstances will come against us, try to knock us down, try to steal our hope. And in those moments, we might be clinging to the dust, but brothers and sisters, cling also to the word of God. Cling also to the promises of God. If you've been in that place where your heart is heavy and, and, and in sorrow, but there's a part of you holding on to this word, you know that that can be one of the sweetest places there is. We are trusting in God's unfailing love. Let's go to our faithful God in prayer. Jesus, the name Jesus means the Lord is our salvation. He came to save us. He is our savior. If you don't know him as your savior, I urge you to come and believe upon him even this day. To not hold back, not wait, not delay. And he will give you abundant life, not just then when you die, but now and then. So I urge you to trust in him. And all of us, let us trust in God's word and his promises. Let's pray. Father, we live in such a temporary world. Everything is passing. Everything is changing. We are changing. And we are temporary, at least in these frames. The season of life we're in, the challenges we face, the blessings we enjoy, everything is temporary. But you are not, Lord, and your word is not. Thank you for anchoring us to something that's immovable. Something we can truly stand upon. We can build our lives upon. Now, Father, what I pray is that as we absorb this, these truths from this beautiful psalm, I pray, Lord, that you will rekindle in the heart of each of us a commitment and a, and a desire to be in your word. Lord, I pray that that person who's hidden your word on their shelf will take that word off the shelf and begin to open it and to make time every day to read that you might give them insight, that your promises might strengthen their faith that they might see Jesus on every page. And that, Lord, that our, our souls are fed and anchored and guided by your word. Lord, we say with the psalmist, oh, how we love your word. Help us to love it more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.